0: Lord, that you bring us wisdom, and we know that by opening up your holy scriptures, Lord, that you will reveal to us more of you. Um, Lord, we ask that you speak through Pastor Jesse, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. morning. Well, give Brad a hand for leading us in worship, and appreciate it. So, obviously, this is kind of a, a unique experience. This has been just a series of firsts for not only you, but also, obviously, for us as a leadership, uh, we have. I, I think, to, by God's grace, if we could just celebrate the reality of a few different things. Number one, um, there we're here, which is great. That, that several of you've been able to come out. The first service was a success, and um, but before that, we successfully launched like really, really quickly to online services and started to reach literally hundreds. on Easter, uh, well over a thousand people, maybe even two thousand people on Easter, which is. Literally our largest Easter gathering that we have ever had. Um, and, and really our, our reach has, has broadened. And uh, in fact, before I came up here, I just checked our YouTube feed real quickly. I know many of you are meeting in your home uh, and we're thankful for you still listening in and tuning in online for those of you who are not comfortable being here yet or uh, those that are susceptible. Many people did contact me before the service just to let me know they weren't ready to come back yet and that's totally okay. And uh, we're thankful for all of you here uh, being willing to kind of distance yourself out and sit probably not in your normal spot, um, which I know is awkward for some of you, but some of you got your seat, I see, which is (laughs) success, another victory. Um, But uh, we're thankful for for you, and it it has been a process. We just want to say to those that are online who not only uh, are listening now, but listen later. I, I like I was trying to say beforehand. I got a message in the first service. There's somebody who checks us out uh, and watches our services every single week in New Jersey. Uh, another individual watches us every week in New York. Um, and I just want to say a couple things. Uh, first of all, we we are blessed, thankful that you're here. But I want to speak and do a couple things before we get going in the text. And I'm going to be mindful, obviously, of time because uh, there are some kids in the service. And um, last night, for instance. Uh, I was tucking in uh, Jolie, my daughter. Uh, She's five years old, and uh, I said to her, uh, well, she she said to me, she said, Dad, uh, we're going to church tomorrow, and I said, yeah, and she said, and I get to go to children's church, yeah, and I said, no, not yet, and she said, well, next week, and I said, Mom, probably not next week, and I I said to her, but you'll get to be there, and and you'll get to sit, and you'll get to watch Daddy preach live, and and she said, yeah, but when I watch you live, uh, it feels so long. <clears throat> so, good news is, she, <laughs> she likes Children's Church. Bad news is, I talk too long. So, um, we are trying to shorten those things up. We've, we've done some things to try uh, to make the building as safe as possible. Obviously, we clean uh, during service, between both services, after both services, uh, and doing all the protocols. And just so you know, um, and those who are watching, uh, we recognize that, it's, that, that you're not comfortable being here if you're watching online, and that's okay. We, we don't, we don't want to, like look down on you for that. In fact, I know some of you need to be at home for several different reasons, and we love you. You're still gathering with your family, and you're still part of our family at church, and we're thankful for you. And we're thankful for all of you being mindful uh, to keep each other safe in this season. And so we want uh, to continue to maintain that and to just be mindful of where we're all at. Um, and then this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And so before we launched, uh, there were a bunch of churches in California that said, we're going to meet together on the 31st. We don't care what the governor says. Our leadership wasn't necessarily comfortable with that. We wanted to make sure that we were uh, being mindful of our government and submissive to our government were necessary, uh, that we were not being seen as uh, against society or against the health of society. And obviously, all of us have different opinions on what is happening, what we should and shouldn't be doing. Um, but we knew that we could gather safely once the CDC... Uh, Gavin Newsom, the County of Nevada, the Public Health. We even contacted to make sure that the Chief of Police knew what we were doing here in our community. And green lights all, all ready to go. Uh, and so we're here not just because we're flying by the seat of our pants and it's Pentecost Sunday and we want to have our way. We're here because we believe it's safe. Uh, and, and in fact, on Friday night, my wife and I, for the first time in two and a half months, went on a date in a restaurant and had all-you-can-eat Sushi and it was wonderful, and uh, it felt totally normal. And uh, yay for dead fish! And um, <laughs> and it was it was rad, and and it felt totally normal. There was well over 50 people in the restaurant, it was great. And so, I kind of figured after that experience, you know, realizing hey, if I can safely uh, eat raw <laughs> raw fish during COVID 19 and be putting things in my mouth, we can probably safely come together. And worship our Savior. So uh, we're here and obviously in the coming weeks things will change. We're, um, I didn't mention this in the first service, but it is good for us to know. We're on a 21-day trial period basically in the state of California. They basically have said, do this for 21 days. We'll revisit. Hopefully restrictions will loosen. But at the same time, uh, we can't live in, in just you know wishful thinking. We can pray and have faith. Uh, but if something were for us to have to change what we do, Our leadership is ready to change whatever we need to do. And we would ask you to do the same and to be gracious in that regard. And then Pentecost Sunday, which is what we're celebrating today, uh, is the day in which after our Savior, Jesus, who was God, came and lived amongst us, lived 33 years. And when he died, he said, listen, uh, to all those who were his disciples, all those that he was teaching, all those that called Jesus their teacher, He said, I want you to go, and I want you to wait in Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. He's going to come to you, and he's going to empower you to live through trial and tribulation that you would preach the gospel in boldness. And so I think it's fitting that on this Sunday, we celebrate the day in which Jesus came and gave his Holy Spirit to the church. And what's really amazing about that day, if you remember historically what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, uh, every every tribe, every nationality, every race heard the gospel for the first time in their own language. So in that text, it actually says that they heard each other in their own tongues, and that doesn't mean that they were speaking some weird angelic language. It, means, it literally means that the Ethiopians heard the Hebrews, the Hebrews heard the Ethiopians who heard the Egyptians, who heard the Africans, and they all understood each other. And the reason I think that that's so important uh, in line of, of what we're dealing with right now as a nation uh, with what happened with George Floyd. And obviously there's a conversation that has arisen and is continually going to be talked about in regards to racial reconciliation and all of that. Uh, and, and I'm not an expert in those things. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not a police officer. I don't know what it's like to be poli- police officer. I pray for our police officers, obviously. Uh, what the video in that regard, it's very, very disturbing, obviously. But the good news is, is that, on Pentecost, basically what Jesus declared when every person heard the, the message for the first time, and it, it, this is the way throughout the entire Bible, every race, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every person that is alive has been made in the image of God. You're an image bearer of God, and he desires for every tribe, every tongue, and every race to be saved, amen? And that's what we celebrate on Pentecost, that we've been given power to not only get through this tribulation that we're in, because, man, our nation is crazy right now. We are in a historical moment that will change history forever. And historic moments need historic responses, which means we need to respond historically, not with anger and frustration. We definitely don't need to be going down to Reno and pillaging you know, the, local, the local stores. We need to be declaring that God loves mankind and people. And here's what I honestly believe, and I know not everyone believes this, but I honestly believe that one of the reasons that our nation struggles the way that it does, not only in the racial side of things, but also when you watch videos of what's happening in the cities with the pillaging and all of that, really, I think it comes down to the reality that for, for uh, generations now, we have been teaching that humanity is not made in the image of God, but rather is happenstance and that you came through evolution or some other means. When you teach those kind of things, it shows that humanity really doesn't have value. But when we recognize that humanity was created in the image of God, that you and I bear the image of the most holy God on high, who is beautiful and perfect in every way, and that we were made in that image, you were made in that image, George Floyd was made in that image. When we recognize that, then we have no other choice but to treat our fellow man with great love and adoration. Yeah? So what we need is a higher view of God, which actually leads to a higher view of humanity, which leads to a higher respect towards those who are made in his image. Uh, And that's what we celebrate on Pentecost. God wants us to be able to embrace that. And then Um, In Exodus chapter 12, we've been going through this story now where where God, in his providence, in his sovereignty, took this Hebrew child who was left to the home of the Egyptians. He is raised, even though he's Hebrew, he's raised as an Egyptian. He gets himself in trouble. He runs off to the wilderness, encounters a burning bush that we know is God himself, speaking to Moses and tells Moses, My people who've been slaves under Pharaoh for 400 years go back to that place and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he actually tells Moses, Pharaoh's not gonna listen to you, so I'm gonna send plagues. And there's 10 plagues that that God sends upon Egypt to remind Egypt, you need to let my people go. But it's also, if you remember, the plagues are an assault on the gods of Egypt. So Egypt, remember now, Egypt worshiped, any and every god there was. I mean, they had, they had multiple gods for the god of the Nile, multiple gods for the god of the air, multiple gods for the gods of the land, multiple gods for the gods of the, the calves and the, the beasts of the field. They worshiped every god there was. So when Moses shows up on the scene and he says, let my people go in the name of Yahweh, I, I, I want you to take note that Pharaoh never says, well, that God doesn't exist. I don't think that Pharaoh actually disagreed that Yahweh existed, but Pharaoh's response is telling. He says, who is Yahweh? Who is God? Who is God that I should obey him? Why should I make him my God? Why should I listen to your God? I'm not going to listen to your God. And the result, obviously, is God comes through with these, these assault on, on the gods of Egypt to let Egypt know your gods are not true gods. I'm the only true God there is. You need to let my people go. So we went through several of those plagues uh, in the last couple weeks, and now we're on the last plague, which is Passover. And Passover is this historical moment for the Hebrews where God comes and actually passes through Egypt and takes all of the firstborn from Pharaoh's house all the way to the slave's house, all the way to the beasts in the field. And so we pick up our story in Passover, which we even celebrate now, which is connected to communion. And so if you would, I just want to read the first section of chapter 12 as a base. I want to encourage you this morning to stand with me because we honor God's word if, you, if you're able to. As we read these few verses for context and we talk about the message here this morning. <clears throat> verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. God's instituting a new calendar. In fact, Passover is the way in which Israel starts their calendar. This is the start of a new year, a new beginning. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, every man will take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb... Then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what he or each can eat, you shall make, you, make your account for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight, Then they shall take some of the blood, put it on the doorposts and of the lintel of the house in which they shall eat it, and they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you, when I strike the land of Egypt, this is the word of the Lord. And the church said, "Amen." Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so there's some repetitiveness that occurs within this passage. First of all, uh, in the verses we just read, God is telling Moses, "I'm going to pass this plague through you. It's going to take the firstborn throughout the whole land." But in faith, if you will, if you will take a lamb that is unblemished, and you slaughter it, and you eat it, and you take the blood with hyssop, and you put it on the doorposts. And you put on the lintel, which is the head of the, the, the door. If you do that in faith, I'll pass over. And then in, in the next few verses, there's the institution of, uh, of what is the unleavened bread, the, the celebration of unleavened bread. And then again, Moses repeats the instructions to the leaders. This is what we're going to do on Passover. And then the Passover happens at midnight in verse 29, and all the firstborns are struck. Now, there's a couple things I want you to understand. First of all, the repetitiveness is here for a reason, but if you take note, look at verse 14 of chapter 12 in which we just read. It says this. This day shall be for you a memorial. You shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. What God is literally saying is, I'm instituting something that will help you remember, okay? Uh, and, and actually, if you go back to Exodus chapter 10, God said this earlier. He said in chapter 10, tell of these signs, tell of these plagues of what is happening in Egypt. Tell them in the hearing of your son and your grandson that you would remember. Teach them to the next generation. That's what he's saying. It's, it's again an instruction that occurs throughout the entire Bible for us to remember. You see, stories, stories in certain situations leave an impact and an imprint in our lives. You know what I mean by that? So, Here's basically what I mean by this. Uh, some of you will relate to this. When I was um, learning to preach, I'm still kind of learning to preach. This is, this is almost like a new experience for me. There's people in the room. There's eyeballs looking back. There's I can hear people laughing. Um, that I can't hear that when you're online. So I miss that tactile feedback, though uh, I think we've had great success with it. I'm still learning. I'm relearning everything all the time, it seems. But I remember when I was being taught, my mentor, one of the guys that trained me, he said, one of the things you do in preaching that helps you engage the hearer is to start out with a story in which everyone can relate to. And the example he gave me was this one, and it will work for you well here this morning. How many of you remember your first kiss? Now, I know there's kids in the room, so you should have no memory other than mom and dad, right? I remember my first kiss. I, it, I, I, it was regretful. <laughs> um, my standards were a little lower then, and uh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, some, some, like. remember that moment. Do you remember when you got engaged? Do you remember your firstborn? Do you remember the emotions that were brought up at that moment? Our lives are shaped by these kind of uh, impressions and stories. Any of you who, who are old enough, which most of you in the room I think are, you know exactly where you were when the news came on when the Twin Towers fell. You know exactly where you were. And that particular story of the towers falling left an impression on us that will last historically. And whether it's the George Floyd thing or the COVID-19 thing, these stories will shape us forever. Your children, especially your high school students, will forever be shaped by what is happening in the United States of America right now. They will be forever shaped by it. And likewise, the Hebrews were forever shaped by this instance that God would have grace to pass through every home and not take the first child. Time and time again, Scripture tells us to remember, whether it's in Nehemiah chapter four, verse fourteen, or whether it's in the New Testament in Second Timothy two, eight or Luke twelve, twenty-two. When Jesus literally instituted communion, he said, Do this in remembrance of me. Do it to remember we need to be reminded. One great church historian, his name is Claire Davis, he said, the Christian life is a combination of amnesia and deja vu. We have this ability to forget and then to seem like, oh, I've heard that before. He goes on to say, I know I have forgotten this before. And it's true. I mean, it's true. It's true for me. If I go back and think, have I ever, sometimes I'll go back in my notes or sometimes very rarely will I do this because I hate listening to myself. But I'll go back and listen to some old sermons and I'll be like, wow, where did I come up with that? Where did I get that line? And and sometimes I'll listen to myself and go, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. And hopefully you're not feeling that way right now uh, at home. But God institutes this and there's some things he wants us to remember. So the title of the message this morning is basically this, remember the Passover. And there's some key components within the Passover This this celebration that occurs that points us to Jesus that we need to be reminded of. And here's the first reminder. You have to remind yourself, and you have to be reminded that you and I need a substitute. This is what theologians call substitutionary atonement. And basically what it means, in order for us to be saved, we have to recognize that we need someone else to save us. We need a substitute. So let's be really clear on something here in regards to what happened on the Passover and the taking uh, of the children. In every single house, there was death. That's what it tells us. Every single house in Egypt, every single house in Goshen, there was death. And either, either the household's judgment from God came upon the firstborn child or it went upon the lamb. And if we allow the judgment to go on the Lamb, we won't experience the judgment within our own house, or that is to say we won't experience the judgment within our own hearts upon ourselves. You see, there was nothing special, and God's clear about this, especially in Deuteronomy, where he says, I loved you not because you're the greatest of people, I loved you because I loved you. I set my affection upon you because I love you. And so the reality is is that the Hebrews were no better than the Egyptians. That, 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 That even inside this room... Those of you who are Christians, you have to recognize that you, apart from Jesus Christ, are not any more special, not any less sinful, not any less depraved than those who are looting the stores in the streets. This part of the Christian message is very hard for people to actually take in because most of us like to think that we are good people and we do a good job. But the reality, though, is that the Egyptians worshipped every God except for the one God. And in our culture, we have a tendency to worship all kinds of things other than God, right? We, we say it all the time, nobody is worship neutral. We all worship something. That is to say, we get our value and our significance outside of ourselves, no matter who you are. And, and the thing that's interesting about this is that if we look at what's happening in the Exodus, they're, they're, they're trying to get out of slavery from the oppression of the false gods because many of the Hebrews were adopting false worship. And so the culture, the Egyptian culture, is just saturated the Hebrews, and now God wants to take them out of Egypt, and he wants to place them into a new land and into a new place. But let's be clear, he's moving the, the Hebrews from slavery to slavery, from, from bondage to bondage. One kind of bondage is, is that of, of sin, and the other is that unto God, where we understand that in God is our only true freedom. Again, we've said this many times before. No one's worship neutral. All of us give our lives to something. And the the difference is if you give yourself to God, you become more human. If you give yourselves to false gods, you become less human. And then the value and the dignity of humanity goes down. And then the, the depression and anxiety in your heart start to increase. We need a substitute. And that substitute has to be other than us. So again, what does God say? He says, you're going to take a lamb, and what does the lamb have to be? Perfect. So they go find a perfect lamb. The perfect lamb has to actually live with them for a period of days. Now, if you're caring for a lamb that you're going to sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins, how are you going to take care of that lamb? Uh, John and uh, John Amon, who used to be our youth pastor, and Ben Lynn, so John's in Michigan now. Ben Lynn is in Floriston. Both of them... Uh, separately from, from apart from each other, both of them recently purchased uh, pigs. So I don't know if you've seen this or not. So they're caring for these pigs because their game plan is to kill them, right? I, I'm pretty sure that was a response to there's going to be a shortage of meat, and so they went out and they bought pigs. I'm not entirely sure. Or, or, or they, they just want to have fresh bacon. I have no idea. But I don't. have you ever hung out with pigs? Pigs are smart. They're not dumb. And now they're literally taking care of that pig because at some point in time, they're going to put that pig in their body. They're going to care for those pigs. I think at that point in time, it's going to be hard for them to actually do what they need to do. And likewise, I think this blemished, unblemished lamb, this perfect lamb, had to be cared for because it had to be perfect. So you had to feed it well, you had to treat it well, you had to clean it well. This lamb has to be perfect And then you're going to sacrifice this lamb. You're going to take the blood of this lamb and you're going to put it on the doorpost. This is written uh, way before Jesus came and it's going to make a cross upon the doorpost with blood. It's a forward way for us to see the coming of Jesus and the need for the forgiveness of our sins can only come not of ourselves, but only through the blood and the death of another. And that another has to be perfect. In order for us to have eternal life, blood is the sign of life. Without blood, you can't live. That's the significance of blood. And God, who is holy and perfect, he demands holiness and perfection for someone to be in his presence. So how does one who is not holy and perfect get into the presence of God? They have to be covered by the perfect blood of the Lamb that is Jesus Christ. So God is pointing them to taking the step of faith to place the blood of the lamb on their doorpost that they would be saved. And here's, here's one of those great reminders. Your good works will never get you into a correct, good, intimate relationship with Jesus. In fact, Isaiah 64 says it like this, verse six. We've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment and our iniquities take us away like the wind. Now, you can look up on your own time the original language of polluted garment, but the the translation in there is, is that your good works to God outside of faith, your attempts to be good are never good enough. You can work so hard, and you can strive, and you can fight, but you'll never find a perfect relationship with Jesus unless you put your faith in the work of Jesus which is the death of Jesus. This is what Jesus says in John 1, 29, or I'm sorry, John the Baptist says of Jesus in John 29, when he, uh, John chapter one, verse 29, when he sees Jesus and he baptizes him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what God is showing us is that we cannot be saved by ourselves or by any other God other than the one God that exists in the person of Jesus Christ. Look at this, Jesus is It says in the text that the household would be saved. Anyone in that household would be saved, and God is in the business of saving households. Can anybody relate to that? I know when my grandparents became Christians, then many years later my mom did, and then my stepfather did, and then I did, and it just has trickled down the line. And then at twilight, the execution occurs. Now just to be clear, this is is a horrific story. I mean, it is, it is hard for us to read, especially in light of, of understanding how loving and kind God is, that, that God would allow such a horrible, horrendous thing to happen. But let's remember the context. Do you remember that, that, that for 400 years, the Hebrews have been slaves to Egypt? And at a certain point in time, the population starts to get out of control. So what Pharaoh does in order to to stop the the populace from growing is he actually mandates, he puts a government mandate, and it's actually bigger than a government mandate. It's actually a a mandate from a god. The Pharaoh was seen as a deity. He he himself was a god. So Pharaoh makes a governmental kind of uh, legislative, but also a historical deity kind of moment, he stands up in front of all of his people or he puts out an edict amongst his rulers and says, anytime you see a firstborn male, anytime you see a male being born among the Hebrews, you're to take them and sacrifice those children to the gods of the Nile. The weeping, the mourning, the anticipation. Could you imagine, as a mother, uh, worried that somebody in the community would see that you had a child? And it actually says in the text earlier that on the birth stool, the literal birth stool, that is the place that the baby is being born, would be stripped from the mother and thrown into a place filled with alligators and predators. That's what the Egyptians were doing to the Hebrews. So then God in his righteous judgment says the same kind of iniquity is going to be released upon the people of Egypt. The same kind of sin that you created, that you did, that you implemented will be placed upon you. Unless, unless you hear about the blood on the side of the doors and in faith, you put that on that door, then and only then in faith will you be saved. As Hebrews eleven twenty eight says, of Moses by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn may not touch them. Which is another huge reminder that you're saved by faith. My friends, this is the incredible news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ that we're not saved by what we do, we're saved by what Jesus has done. And I don't know if you've ever taken part in a, um, an actual on hands Passover meal. Has anyone ever had the opportunity to do that? There's a few more in the first service, but we've we've been talking about doing it here at church, and I'm sure when restrictions lift, we'll try to do it at some point. But when you sit down at the meal, you partake of different elements of the meal. The lamb is part of that. But another part of that is you dip some, some bitter herbs within salty water, and you eat it and it's bitter, and it's salty, and it doesn't taste good. But God did this in the Passover meal to remind the the Hebrews that, that they lived in a time where there were great tears, great mourning, and great bitterness. I mean, it was an ugly season. And as a nation right now, we're in an ugly season. This is, it's a bitter time. It's an angry time. We're seeing people lash out. They're frustrated, and they're hurting and they're not caring for their fellow mankind and it's guised in some kind of false righteousness. But here's the reality for us. For us, God has saved us from bitterness. And we need to be reminded of that bitterness. Sometimes we need to be reminded that that, that things aren't good so that we'll see that God is good. In fact, Thomas Watson said it better than I, to sin or till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Again, a historical moment requires historical response. In the last two and a half months, how how have you responded and how have you reacted? I mean, this goes back to that question I asked earlier, right? Do you remember your first kiss? Do you remember your first Facebook post? Do you remember what you first put on Instagram? What, what has been your response in the season of bitterness that is COVID-19 and And George Floyd, what is your response to to the way that life has been? Because if, if it is to be angry and if it's to be frustrated and if it's to lash out and if it's to demand your right to meet together as a church and to demand your right to be an American, you've missed the point. You've utterly missed it. Because the response that we should be having is to see that Christ is good in especially hard seasons. And then on Pentecost we celebrate, he's given us the ability to get through hard times without freaking out. I would probably say that if you've been freaking out in this season, it's because you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus and you've placed your eyes on circumstance. I mean, I I love all of you, I deeply do, but sometimes I wish many of you would just never post anything online because it doesn't reflect the gospel. It's as if sometimes we forget the reality that that when Jesus came, he he didn't try to demand his right. He didn't demand that people listen. He didn't demand that they they act a particular way. He didn't didn't demand that they would overflow Nero, who is one of the worst leaders there ever were. Instead, he just lays down his life, and he serves people, and he loves people, and he cares for people. Remember years ago, I had someone in the church tell me <clears throat> during the whole Prop 8 voting thing, which was to vote on same-sex marriage, and he said somebody posted something on Facebook about you know, Prop 8, and he was real frustrated, and so he just defriended him. And he came into church that day, and he said, I'm so, so sick of all of this, and I'm just happy to say I defriended him. And my heart just sunk. And I said, you know, I, I understand your frustration, but Jesus was a friend of sinners. If anything, you, you don't defriend people. Can you imagine Jesus walking through his social media feed and just unfriending people? <laughs> would you be on that list? I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking that's the way that he responds. And when I told him, they said, you, you really can't pass judgment on, on someone who, who has a same sex infinity unless you've actually gone down to the tenderloin and you've hung out with some of them. Because I think Jesus would have us wash the sinner's feet. What did he do with Judas? He washed Judas' feet. And yet we sometimes, in our American mindset, we want to fight for our American rights. And and, and I think it's sad. I think it's possible that, that you can say, in the name of God, I'm fighting for my American rights, and you miss out on God because your American rights are actually your God. Instead of making God your God and allowing your American rights to be whatever they might be. It's when Owen says, John Owen says it this way about sin. He actually says, we can try to kill our sin and get rid of our sin because we don't like the way it feels. We don't like the guilt that sin brings. We don't like the conviction that sin brings, so we try to get rid of our sin because we don't like the way it makes us feel, but God's taken out of the picture altogether. What about killing the sin because you're in love with the God who made you, who created you in his image, who has said, listen, if you, if you follow life the way that I created, it'll be like an exodus for you. If you put your focus on me and you worship me, you, you, you'll, you'll actually find the freedom that you need. Because he literally says to the Hebrews, he says, you did serve Pharaoh, you were a slave to Pharaoh and now you're going to come and worship me and you're going to serve me. Slavery to slavery. You see, none of us are autonomous. As much as you like to think you're independent, as much as you like to to tell yourself how free you are, as much as you want to fight for your freedoms, nobody's free. The only true freedom is to live within the bounds of the creation that God has created you to be. And that's why for those of us who have fallen in love with the Passover lamb, that is Jesus who passed over our sins, not because we deserve it, but because he is gracious that he has cleansed the leaven out of us. Because of that, we're in love with him. And because of that, we desire to do life the way that he wants us to do life. And that celebration later in the text, he institutes this unleavened uh, celebration lasted well, well into a week's worth of time. The Hebrews knew how to party. Uh, even weddings lasted several days for Hebrews. So, so Hebrews were like, they weren't like, you want 4th of July, you get 4th of July. No, no, no. This is like their Independence Day. They get to celebrate it for several days. And one of the things that they would do is they would take unleavened bread, and, and it represents, the unleavened bread represents uh, sin, that it's sinless basically. And there's one place in the Bible says that, that get rid of the leaven because the little leaven leavens the whole lump. Sin can spread like wildfire. That's what you're seeing in the riots. It just takes a few people, more people start to join in, and then it's utter chaos. It's kind of like that. And one of the things they would do in the home for the kids, kind of like we do on Easter with Easter eggs, they would take unleavened bread pieces, and they would hide them all over the house. And then the kids would walk into the house, and they would have to look for the unleavened bread and take it out of the house. And the reason this is important, it's another great reminder, is that not only were we saved to be saved for something, or from something rather, but also for something. Many theologians believe that that section of Scripture is pointing towards the reality that God has saved us not only from sin, but He's also saved us to be sanctified, which we know literally means that we would grow in our faith, that we would not be content with just staying where we're at, that we actually have a purpose. First Peter actually says this. If you're taking notes, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, the one who called you is holy. So likewise, you should be holy. And then in verse 17, he says, you need to act according with fear and trembling and holiness, and this is why he says, act this way throughout the time, listen very carefully, throughout the time of your exile. Did you hear it? You know what Peter's saying? You're not living just for this world. You're living for another world. We're not interested in in saving people in this world. We're interested in saving people from this world for the next world. And what we're to be living like as if heaven is now. That's how we should be living, as if heaven is now. We're to be creating, if you will, to a certain degree, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're to be living as if the kingdom is now. Jesus is our ruler. He's our authority. He's our standard. And if we live that way, then and only then will we truly change the world. I just want you to hear this from me, and I hope someone else smarter than me says it so you'll listen to it. Um, you will not change the world with your social media posts. Do I need to say it again? You're not going to change the world with your social media post. Nobody cares. You're not going to change the world with your obscure news post. You're not. You're going to change the world by loving your neighbor. Let me challenge you. Next time you want to post something, don't. Go next door and ask how you can serve your neighbor go knock on your neighbor's door and just say, is there anything I can do for you right now? Can I pray for you? Can I, can I bake you some cookies? Maybe you don't even ask for permission. Maybe just bake cookies. You know you have a better chance of changing the world by giving your neighbor cookies than you do with your Facebook post? Think about it. Hashtag it. You can post it. Are you with me this morning? No? Okay. Now well, remember, there's death in every single household. Not one household escapes. There's nothing unique about the Israelites than there are the Hebrews. And likewise, we have a king who wants us to have what he has, freedom, not because of our good works. If you notice, there's a point in the text that when they leave, Pharaoh eventually gets to this place, obviously after his son is murdered. And when they leave, he, he, the, the Egyptians literally start giving the Hebrews a whole bunch of gold, a whole bunch of goods. And as they plundered Egypt, likewise on the cross, Jesus gave us gifts, and he plundered the the world of its best gifts for us that we would walk in newness. And I want you to see uh, the excitement of what happens here at the end. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. So that's just the dudes. Doesn't include the children, and doesn't include the women. So this this is a whole lot of people leaving this area, and it says a mixed multitude also went up with them. You know what that means? It means some of the Egyptians who were watching the Hebrews and some of the Egyptians who used to worship false gods decided to finally make Yahweh their God. And, and, it means that some of, this is crazy, some of the Egyptians recognized that they needed to be gracious enough to forgive the perpetrators, and then to bring them into the new household of God, because they were all forgiven by grace, to then enter into a new promised land. I don't know what the next six months to a year to two years are going to look like for us as Americans. But I do, I would ask, I would ask, as we get ready to close, I would ask that you would remember the grace of God, and you would extend great grace to every single American citizen. I don't think God's up there saying, did you wear a mask when you went to the grocery store? But I also don't think he's saying, why are you wearing a mask? I think God is gracious enough to understand that we're all in different places. Some of us aren't worried about getting the disease. Some of us are. Some of us are really concerned about racial reconciliation. Some of us don't necessarily understand the problem. Most of us in Truckee have to understand that we're kind of in a bubble. We are. We don't experience what the Bay Area experiences or what New York experiences or what L.A. or or San Diego experiences. It's a different place. And I'm hearing from other pastors who are literally saying to me and, and to other pastors that they've never experienced a more diverse group of people that they've needed to minister to ever before. Everyone's all over the board on this thing. And there's all kinds of studies that say all kinds of different things. Some are going to look at what we're doing this morning and say, and say you know what? You shouldn't be gathering. I've, I've already heard from some, they're frustrated that we're not gathering even more than we are. Why are you putting a restriction on there? Why are you pointing me where to sit? I don't know. I'm doing the best I can. You know what I'm saying? And so are the grocery stores and so are the business owners and so is everybody else. Show the love of God as best you can. When you look at another human being, recognize that they're made in the image of God and that God's purpose and plan for every human being is that they'd be taken away from the slavery of fear and condemnation into the freedom that God has, that we would have a great exodus. My friends, if we come out of this thing and we don't act the way that we're supposed to, I, I do believe that some of this is occurring for the church, that the church has had to be isolated so that the church would realize what the job of the church really is. Yes, this is important, but if you're not bold about sharing your faith outside of these four walls, it's all for naught. The church is not an end to itself. The church is the means in which we become discipled and we grow, that we can share with other people, that like some of those Egyptians, they too can be forgiven and brought into the household of faith under the forgiveness of sins from the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me close with three thoughts if you're like, man, that's a lot of information He talked really fast. I don't know what he said. Let me give you three things to remember at the end of the message. Number one, you were saved from the power of sin by the grace of God. Number two, as Israel was in a hurry to leave, be hurried to be holy. That's why God says, put on your belt, have on your sandals, don't put leaven in the bread, because when the time comes, you gotta go, and you gotta go fast. And number three, remember we move from slavery to slavery. Let go of the sin and come under the great service of the greatest king that ever ever lived and ever will live and ever will be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our church family. Thank you for this Pentecost Sunday. Thank you that we have the opportunity, Lord, to be here. I know it's not as full as some people want, and maybe it's not as empty as others want. Even hearing some people saying how blessed they feel to be able to find a seat without any problems. Or a parking space without any frustration. I'm thankful for those who are here. I'm thankful that they are willing to be here. And Lord, I'm really thankful for those who are also still online. And I want them to know, Lord, that no matter how far away they are, whether it's New Jersey or New York or Brazil or Palm Springs or in Texas or in Nevada, all the several different places in California and Oregon, Papua New Guinea, or even as far as Spain. Lord, are just thankful that people are tuning in to hear that you're a God who loves us. I pray that you help us as a church to keep our focus on you and to love you with all of our heart and all of our strength and all of our might, that we would also, in like manner, love those who are made in God's image. Whether they are Christian or not. And we trust you to empower us with that ability, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, family, we stand with. Me?